Hi, I'm Leanne. I'm a light worker and a mother to three special girls. I strive to continue learning, growing, and to collect new skills. I'm a psychic medium, Reiki master teacher, and a Kashuk record reader and energy healer. I am so excited to share what I've learned and what I'm going to learn and the ups and downs of life. Thank you for joining me on my journey. Welcome to Life of a Lightworker podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Today, I am talking with Sarah Hoffing. Sarah mixes psychology and intuition. She has a degree in psychology, is certified as a life coach in emotional freedom technique, as a Reiki practitioner, and as an intuitive guide and mentor. She believes we all have the power to heal and can do so by discovering the patterning from our past lives and our childhood and learning how we are stuck in the patterns today. Through rewiring the brain pathways and releasing old patterns, we begin to reveal how to build confidence and a stronger sense of self and learn who we are authentically at our core. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for talking to me today. First off, I want to get to know you a little bit more. I would love to know where you grew up. Oh, I grew up uh, in Ontario, in a little town, uh, Cornwall, Ontario, kind of on the border just before you're about to head into Quebec. So um, yeah, kind of an hour in between Ottawa and Montreal. Awesome. And did you live that place your whole life or not say whole life, your whole childhood? Yeah. So my parents actually still live in the house that we built when I was a year and I was a year and a half, I think almost two. Yeah. I was almost two. And, um, there's a big, huge rock in their front yard, kind of off to the side and they call it Sarah's rock because I used to play there, um, and watch the house being built. And so we've been the only owners of that house. And now my kids go there, um, when we go and visit, and uh, all of our heights and everything are up on the one um, beam going into the kitchen and my kids are there now and uh, their heights are on there. So it's beautiful. It's a really, really beautiful, um, beautiful house and just a beautiful feel to it. Really nice big backyard and so many good memories. Well, that's awesome. And going along that line, what is your favorite childhood memory? Hmm. I would say camping with my family. We would always go to Bon Echo and, you know, there was like an energy about being there. And um, there was Mazinaw Rock and there's like this beautiful um, quote by Walt Whitman that is etched on the rock and you could canoe and like go by it. And, and um, there was just so much history there. And there was this big nature museum and we would do hikes and we would go um, uh, our friends that we would camp with had a boat. And so it was just like so much adventure, so much nature. We would do a week at least in Bon Echo and then a week at Sandbanks. And it was like these summers of just being, I have, um, I'm the oldest and then I have a sister and a brother. And it was like the five of us just living in the moment, living in the present. And I just have so many memories of so many laughs and so many conversations and just this like really amazing deep connection that kept evolving as we got older. Oh, that's beautiful. Would you say that's your strongest childhood memory or do you have another memory that you might say is your strongest? 
or has the strongest feeling attached to it? Um, let's think. You know, I'm a very visual person. So that's a really hard question because I feel like I have so many strong memories. Um, like my mom will say, you can't put anything past me because I remember word for word. Um, you know, I remember being the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz. I was cast in a play. I was in theater. And one of the first parts I played, I was um, 12 years old. And I would come up, you know, with my green hands and do the cackle. And I can still do it, like, very well. And it was to the point I did it so well that a little boy had to leave because he kept peeing his pants every time I came out. And it was in this huge auditorium with a whole bunch of kids. They would all, like, they all came in buses from school. And it was, like, this big performance. And uh, little did I know, my husband was also in the play. And he was one of the um, munchkins in the play. Oh, it would have been funny if he was a little boy that peed his pants. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't, thank God. Oh, yeah. That's so cute. I yeah, love that you guys were like kind of connected, but not. Yeah, we were both 12. And we, uh, you know, when we first officially met when we were almost 30, um, his sister remembered me from the play and asked me if I was the Wicked Witch in the Wizard of Oz. And I said, yes. And then I looked at pictures my parents had in their basement because, you know, living in the same house your whole life, you've got, it's like a museum for your, for your, you know, childhood. And so I looked and sure enough, there was my sister-in-law and there's my husband. And my husband was standing um, right behind my brother who was also in the play. And he remembers me being the wicked witch. And, you know, we laugh about it. Like, did you ever imagine that you were going to marry the wicked witch when you're in that play? You know, it was, oh. it was really neat. Oh, that's so funny. I love that. Uh, continuing on with your childhood, were you intuitive as a kid or when did you start noticing that you were intuitive? Yeah, I was very intuitive. And I often joke, like my parents, I remember coming downstairs, they were watching TV and I remember being like, mom, like I see stuff. Like there's someone there and I feel like I can't sleep and I, I hear things. And, you know, I, I remember I'll say to my clients, like when I'm kind of telling my story of how I'm intuitive and I'll say, you know, my parents kind of looked at me like, Oh crap, like what is going on? Like, you know, have some more milk. I don't know what to do with you. Like they didn't, you know, they were like, okay, well, you know, keep closing your eyes. Like, but I do remember, um, putting my head under my pillow and, and sheets and sheets over my head where it's like, I'm surprised I could breathe. And I remember being in a bunk bed because my sister and I shared a room and I was on the top bunk and I could see two tall beings and they were men and they were thin and tall. And they would come at night, every night. And I would put my head under my pillow and my blankets. And I would say, please go away, please go away, please go away, please go away. And I would cry. And when I started on this journey after shutting it off for years, it was very interesting because I found out who those people were. Who and so... So they, I went in to, you know, I journeyed and I went to my space and I met my spirit guide and I felt it. I was like, that's him. And my spirit guide is Gus. 
And so without saying anything, I said to my sister, can you go do this meditation and find out what your spirit guide looks like? Sure enough, tall, thin male. So it was her spirit guide and my spirit guide watching over us as we slept. That is so awesome. Isn't that neat? So it made me feel a lot better, but I wish I had known, you know, and it's amazing because I mean, my parents didn't have the capacity to help me like we can with our kids. And I know you and I have talked about that a lot, right? Where we share that, where we have intuitive children and it's beautiful to be able to say, when our kids are saying to us, I see things and you say me too, you know, tell me more, you know, I believe you. Okay. I believe you through this. Yeah. Let's work through this. I hear you, you know, and, and it's like, you don't feel crazy. You feel heard and understood. And I think that's, what's beautiful about connecting with people like you and having friends who are intuitive too, where you can say to them like, Hey, this just happened. And you're like, Oh, cool. Me too. Like, let's talk about it. You know? it's definitely important to have that sounding board and that like a community where they get you yeah because like brainstorming is like super important and like learning from other people's experiences is super important because yeah we were floating by, by ourselves until we were adults before we connected and like started figuring things out right so yeah and kind of you know it it felt almost like a party trick I know in my late teens and my early twenties, it felt like, and I used it, like, I just kind of said like, oh, I can do this, you know? And then I completely shut it off because I was done. Cause you know, I didn't, I was never taught how to protect my energy. Yeah. Makes a big difference. Huge, huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love protecting energy. Like that's like my biggest, one of my biggest passions is like, realizing that how important it is and how big of an impact it makes on your life mm-hmm. like for everybody yeah everybody yeah. absolutely so from when so you were quite intuitive and, and you used those skills until you said your teens and then you turned them off yeah so when I was a teenager I um I ended up well, it's interesting. So my grand, my grand died when I was 12 years old from, um, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And it was awful. We had to watch her suffer for a whole year. Um, you know, and she was this beautiful, vibrant person and then just completely destroyed by this disease. And I remember when she passed, I remember again, crying at night and saying, please, I'm not ready to see you. Like I knew I had this ability to be able to connect and, and she, you know, she would come to me in dreams. She, you know, and it's, it's interesting because it's like, now I'm at a point where I'm like, please talk to me, please see me. I'm ready. You know, but at that time I didn't know how to do it. And then, uh, as a teen, I, you know, this book fell into my lap, um, you know, totally on purpose that it was this random palmistry book. And I don't even know how, who gave it to me or how it happened, but this book became like my guide. And I just was so interested in it and so taken by it. And I, I really loved reading the lines on people's hands and figuring out what it meant but it was interesting because it was like my gateway where I was the girl in high school that was out in the smoking section with all of these like really tough guys. And I was reading their palms 
And I was, as soon as I touched in and I touched their palms, I started getting visions and I would get visions of their past or visions of their future. And I was really confused at first. And I was like, this isn't mine. Like, these are my memories. And as I said, I have, I'm such a vivid memory person. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to say what I see and see if it resonates. And sure enough, they were like, holy crap, Sarah, that is freaky. How do you know that? And it was to the point where I could describe the room they were in wow. and what was around them when the memory was, had taken place. So it felt very powerful. And then in my twenties, I remember getting a call. I was in university and a friend of mine from high school called me and where I lived, we lived very close to, um, the Aquasasini reserve. And she lived there and her dad trusted me and said that my abilities he really trusted in and that there was someone missing and could I help, you know, was I able to tap in and, and try to help locate? And I gave them what I saw and, um, and then I shut it off. And then I was like, I'm done. I have to, like, it was so much coming at me. And it was interesting too, because there was a seer in the community um, who, when I went to university, I had a really, really hard time in the first university I went to, I had like a huge, um, kind of a, like just emotional break where I just was not good. I was not mentally okay. It was lots of shifts and changes. And, um, I was unprepared for, for being so far away from my family. And, um, it was like, everything was coming to a head. And then this woman who was a seer in our community, she kind of took me under her wing and she was, but, but she never taught me how to do it, but it was always interesting how I was like, like, uh, attracted, attracted to those like-minded people, you know, like they would come and they would show up. And even though she, like, I would watch what she did and it's interesting because now I'm doing very similar work. And I was almost like her administrative, you know, I would book appointments and I would like see how she could, you know, uh, go into a house and, and help protect the energy. And I watched as that happened and just kind of took it all in. So it was neat thinking back now, how, you, you know, once you look at that path and that journey, how it's, it's definitely setting you up that you can never hide from it it keeps finding you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. There's always like little bits where it's like, are you ready yet? Yeah. No, yeah. Are you ready yet? Okay. I'm just going to put this person here and I'm just going to let you watch them work. And it's going to go into like your subconscious. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just sit back, relax. Yeah. Yeah. No. We're just going to take over. Okay. <laughs> while you're going through a mental breakdown <laughs> right yeah and then so after that so you went to college correct and yeah then so I went to university I, I started off my degree in drama and education so I was told my whole life I was supposed to be a teacher I was told I was supposed to be a principal um I was told I was supposed to be a teacher I had a lot of pressure put on me, a lot of pressure. Um, I was valedictorian in elementary school. I was the president of student council. It was like, I had these things that I was told I needed to meet. Um, so it was like a lot, a lot, a lot of pressure. And 
I wanted so badly to break out of that and to just be a child. And, um, and that's where I think I'm so big about my kids and advocating for their freedom and for their, um, imperfection and how beautiful that is, because it was like this perfection that was expected of me. And I did not know how to just release it and, and break out. And that's actually where once I did go to university, um, I started realizing that, uh, I was developing a drinking problem. And so I became an alcoholic to try to break free from that patterning, from that perfectionist patterning. And so that was an interesting road too. And, uh, and then I had switched degrees and, it, you know, when I had, I did psychology 101, the, my first year, and I absolutely hated the course. It was one of the hardest courses. Like it just felt hard. And it's funny because now I could go back and probably teach it. You know, I just love it so much. But at the time, it just felt really hard. And then I ended up getting my degree in psychology. And like, I remember in that, that first course, I remember being in a parking lot and I kicked my book. I remember throwing psychology 101 in the middle of a parking lot and smash, just kicking it. I was so frustrated. I was so done with the course. And then I ended up getting my, my entire, you know, university degree in psychology. So it's, you know, and I find moments like that happen with me a lot. It's like what you find the hardest or what you think is going to break you is actually what you need the most. Mm -hmm. It's actually pushing you and is guiding you and helping you heal. Um, so yeah, I ended up getting my degree in psychology and then I ended up doing graduate studies in, uh, youth at risk. So youth justice studies. Um, and I did youth justice work for a while. And then when, uh, I had my three kids and, um, I went on maternity leave with Violet when Violet was 10 days old, my boss called me and said, if you want to come back to your job, you need to come back now. Like when she's four months old or you're out of a job because my contract was ending. So they, they had found a loophole and it was awful. It was awful. I went through postpartum, but not for having a baby for losing my career. And I, and you know, but looking back, it was one of, the hardest, but best things that could have ever happened to me because I wasn't meant to do that. I was meant to do this and it broke me and rebuilt me. Right. Yeah. Gigantic push. Yeah. And I feel like I always am the one, like I learn the hard lessons. Like I, I don't, it's not a, like a semi smooth ride with little bumps it is the bumpiest fucking ride where it's like the highest hills. lowest. <laughs> it's just like, we're going, we're going. It was like, this is the biggest lesson so that you don't have to learn it again. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm here. I'm here to win. Like I am here to like stop all patterning and just like so many things. I think in this lifetime that I'm just like, bam, give me another one. Bam. Let's do another one. <laughs> You're like, let's go for the wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm here for the roller coaster. I'm, I'm curious. You said your, your alcoholism was connected to perfectionism. Do you think mm -hmm. being intuitive had a part in that? Do you yeah. think like, 
was it like a numbing thing? Was it like a kind of almost a coping mechanism for not knowing how to deal with it? Absolutely, Leanne. Absolutely. Like it was like, I feel like the pressure of the perfectionism was like a volcano ready to erupt and the numbing of the alcohol helped, helped soothe it for, for a moment. Um, because I was, I was able, I felt like a different person when I drank and, um, but also it was definitely a numbing of the intuition because it was all around that same time that I had said, that's it, I'm done. But it was also interesting because I remember being at a friend's house and I was, I felt like I didn't have, I almost had more clarity when I drank Mm. um, at that time when I would read people because I feel like it's because my ego wasn't getting in the way. And so um, that's where it did become a party trick when I would, when I would drink. And then when I stopped drinking, I just completely shut everything off. Right. Yeah. And I needed to heal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Work on yourself and without the busyness and the noise of all that other world stuff. Right. Exactly. And of course I did it. Of course I quit in a really quiet, but big way. I actually quit on my own. I was told by a counselor, um, she's wanting to put me into a six week or 12 week program. And I told her no. And I said, I can do this on my own. I didn't want anybody to know because when I told my family and friends, my best friend, when I told her, she said, I know you, I know you have a problem and I'm so glad you finally admitted it. When I told my other friends and my parents, they were very surprised because I was, you know, it was something that when I saw a bottle of wine, if I had a bottle of wine on the weekend, let's say I'd get one on a Friday, I would need to finish it. I would need to finish it that night. As soon as it was opened, I wouldn't stop thinking about it. So it was like a very functional, like, you know, and, but I knew, and my grandfather had died of alcoholism. And I just knew that if I wanted to live the life that I want to live, that I know is in my heart, the three children I wanted to have this, the husband I wanted to have, then I knew I needed to change. I knew I could not have alcohol be a part of that life because it, it meant numbing and not being present. And that's not the way I wanted to live my life. So I chose to quit and I quit on my own quietly. And my best friend and I, and another, like another girl, actually one of our good friends came along too. We decided, she, she decided like a week before we were leaving, she was coming. It was so fun. And we were all at this transition of our life. And we decided to uh, walk across the Camino de Santiago. Oh, where's that? So it's in Spain. And it starts uh, in the Pyrenees, um, kind of at the border in France, and then it goes all the way across and ends on the other side of, of Spain. So there's different routes that you can take. And there's a couple that we saw in Germany, like they were not in Germany, but they were from Germany. And they said that they would just walk out their door and they were like in their sixties and they would walk out their door and just walk and hike until they found the path. And that's, and there's, there's a movie with Emilio Estevez called the way, and that's the, the Camino that I did. Um, but we walked 333 kilometers in 10 days 
It was insane. Cause I only had two weeks vacation a year. So I had to do it in that time. And I remember my walking stick and it's like, it, it really did break me apart and build me back up because I, when I first started walking, I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is ridiculous. And I think the first day we walked 35 kilometers and my feet were so sore. They, I would go to bed and they were numb. Um, and it just felt like punishment. And then all of a sudden I remember seeing, um, I was walking cause you would walk and you would see the next town up ahead and you would think like, Oh, thank God it's the next town. But you, you know, you had another 10 kilometers to go. Um, so it was very humbling and the amount of work I did mentally during this walk was insane and, and rebuilding. And I remember as I walked towards this one spot and I'll never forget it. And it was just like this beautiful statue of like an angel. And as I'm walking towards it and I feel like I'm done, like I'm so done. And I think we were on like day four or something and I could hear my dad's voice in my head and my dad, like always being in competitive sports, he was always my cheerleader. He was just like always cheering me on, thought I could do anything. And I could hear him being like, you've got this sweetheart. I love you so much. Keep going pump pump, which is what I'm, I was a competitive swimmer. And he'd always say that to me. And I just bawled. I just started bawling but it, it released so much, so much pain inside of me. And it built that belief in me that I could keep going. And I remember another time when we were doing the Camino, there was a cab that came by and my best friend and I looked at each other and we were like, I really want to take that cab. Should we take it? You know? And I feel like it was such a metaphor because we always have that choice. We always have that free will to take the easy way. Are we going to take the cab? You know? And we both said no, because we would never feel like we fully finished. We would never feel like we actually walked it. So we let the cab go by. May have cried a little. <laughs> Doesn't we mean it was an easy high. decision. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because the the yeah, it was it was. I think we still had another ten or fifteen kilometers left, and it was getting you know late, and we were exhausted. But it's wild. Like it really makes you realize when you do things like that, what your body can do, like what your body is capable, and that the reason why your body is so capable is because your mind controls it yeah Yeah. your body is only as strong as your mind pretty much absolutely like you could be as weak or strong as what you believe you are yeah yeah everybody has that power and I see that with my clients all the time and I truly 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 believe that you have the power to heal I love it yes absolutely totally I complete agreement with you there I know. I know we share that viewpoint. (laughs) Where were your clients? Like what kind of services do you offer them? So, um, I do, I work out of the clinic, uh, the, the local clinic that I work out of is like a few blocks from my house. It's fantastic. And it's a beautiful clinic. Um, so I offer Reiki, but it was very interesting because last weekend when I did Reiki, one of the women was like, this is not Reiki. 
Like this is something else. Like you are powerful. It was so sweet. But I think it's because for one thing, I feel like I've done this for lifetimes. Like I felt like I've come home to myself and my, and I'm, my abilities are only just beginning. Um, and when I'm in it and I'm doing the Reiki, I'm getting, things are being channeled through me. And so when I'm holding someone's heart chakra, I'm saying to them, I need you to repeat after me and I'll say whatever's channeled. And then all of a sudden they're bawling on the table. And I can feel that heart chakra go down like two inches. Like it's so fantastic. It's such an amazing, beautiful release. Um, And I've had people say how they, you know, I make them feel safe and like, what a, what an amazing compliment, you know, that they have felt so wound up and so um, out of sorts. And I'm able to provide that safe space for them. So that's what I provide locally. And then Online, I do emotional eating workshops. So right now I'm running um, eight week tune in and then I'm going to, I'm going to run another one in May. So it's eight weeks. It's um, a week of zoom every, every week we do an hour of zoom and it's in a group. And a lot of women are so afraid of being in a group of other women. And it's so important. Like the and, and again, I create that safe space. So when women it's, I love it when women actually, you know, they come in and they're timid and they're like, Oh my God, what am I doing? You know, kind of like how I was at the beginning of the Camino. And then all of a sudden, you know, week two, they're like, wow, this is really powerful. These women are exactly like me and they relate to me. And I finally feel like I'm not alone. And, you know, when women work together and raise each other up, like powerful things can happen. And so in between, we do an accountability group chat. So it's really nice because they're checking in with each other. We do healing work every, every week where I, I, instead of homework, I call it healing work because it sounds so much nicer. And then we do that throughout the week. And then as well, I do intuitive readings, Akashic records, readings, um, energy healings, And, uh, I do the spiritual mentor program, which is a really powerful program and it's six months long and it's, it's pretty much working intensively with me. And then I also do Voxer, um, which is chatting back and forth on a walkie talkie system, because when people get triggered, then it's, it's this beautiful thing that happens where I felt like when I was in therapy and you have that session where you're talking to somebody and you're working things out, that's fantastic. But then the real work happens in between the session. Right. So I wanted to provide that support in between the session where when they're actually being triggered and their boss is saying something to them, they can go, Sarah, I'm not good today. This is what's going on. And then we're working through it in in real time. Um, And then I've got a communications course coming up that I'm about to launch and it's 10 weeks and my husband, Chris is helping me with it. So we have developed our communication over the years. We've been together for 13 years and I feel like it's, it's amazing how we've developed and grown over the years. And so I want to share that with people. And I want to share, you know, from a psychology perspective, from an intuitive perspective, how we've been able to have this strong relationship and how communication is that foundation. Or your communication course, it, or, uh, class or course. Course, yeah. Okay. It's, 
do you recommend that couples do it together or is it still beneficial just one person takes it or do you want more couples or single people? What's your yeah. ideal client for that? I've been thinking about that a lot. And you know what? I really feel, I feel like if men are open to it, I hope they are. I hope this speaks to men. I hope it's something that women will be watching and they'll hear a man's voice and they'll come and be a little bit more intrigued because uh, my husband is a very empathetic, well-spoken, like beautiful human. Like he's away right now. And he called me on his five minute break last night just to hear my voice. And that's the type of, you know, relationship that we have. And a client of mine said that she's so excited about this course and that he's in it because there's something about seeing a dynamic between two people. And I really believe that when you're single and you're wanting to have that relationship, you need to tap into that feeling. And how do you tap into that feeling if you don't know what that feels like? Right. So if we can raise that vibration for them in the course and allow them to tap into that feeling, then that's going to allow them to energetically match. Because a lot of people, what they do when they're single is they write down all the things that they want in a spouse, all the things they want in the partner. And they have a huge list, but what they forget is the second part, which is what are they going to do? What is that person going to do to energetically match all of the things they want in a spouse? And I'm not talking about physical attributes. It's about, you know, if you want your partner to be more vulnerable and open, if you're looking for that in a partner, then how are you going to become more vulnerable and open right now in this moment? Because you're going to need to attract that vibration. Oh, I love that. Energetically match it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how it's kind of bringing in a little bit of the manifesting, you mm-hmm. have the energy work in there, but there's also like real practical things. Like even if you didn't want to even use the word manifesting, it's like, well, if you can't expect other people to do something, if you're not willing to do it yourself. Exactly. And that's where I find like my whole business is about bringing the psychology and bringing in the intuition. And it's like, and that, you know, that manifesting I feel is part of that intuition. It's part of that higher vibration. And so how can you bring that all in together to allow people to raise their consciousness and raise their vibration? I love that. I think that's going to be a great course. I'm just like, oh, that sounds really. I know. I'm excited. I haven't, I haven't personally heard of somebody else doing the same thing that you're doing. Oh, so that's really, really exciting. I think it's really valuable. Thank you. I really hope it stands out. Um, I did the funniest experiment on Chris because, you know, being a psychology background, my poor husband, I (laughs) love doing experiments and seeing, because I just love human behavior and I love seeing what happens if I can, you know, tweak and, um, you know, if you've heard of Pavlov's dog and how you've got the, um, there's an experiment done by a man named Pavlov and you know, there's the, um, he would notice that the, every time he gave the dog food, it would initiate the response of salivating. So he started to, to do the bell before he gave the dog food. So just the bell ended up becoming the response of salivating without giving the food. 
<clears throat> so anyway, with this theory in mind, my poor husband is doing the recycling and I wanted to see for the course, I'm experimenting and I want to see what can happen if I take a task that he does not like and make it fun and bring playfulness into, into our marriage. So he's doing the recycling and he's bent over and he's like knee deep into like this really messy, you know, you know how recycling is with all of the like yogurt containers and stuff. Like it's not, it's not appealing. And so I'm like, holy crap, Chris, you're so sexy when you do the recycling. God, you turn me on. And he's like, you, you, there's something wrong, Sarah, like what's <laughs> going on. And I was like, no, I just love it when you do the recycling. I love it. And he's like, okay. And then the next time he does the recycling, I'm like, God, you're hot. You're definitely getting some tonight. And he's like, what the hell is going on? And then the third time he was like, Hey, Sarah, you notice I'm doing the recycling. <laughs> and I'm like, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> and it, we changed it. We changed the dialogue around recycling and how a task that when, you know, and that's what I feel like most couples fight about the most is about, you know, chores and the mundane and who's doing this. And I did more. And so if you can switch that dialogue and add the playfulness, it changes, things change. I completely, I love that experiment. That's <laughs> so awesome. And like, I, I completely agree with like, just in general life for everything. If you can bring more playfulness, more yeah. fun, it's more enjoyable and you're way happier. Way it's happier. Going to the lens of like, why are, why are kids so happy? Cause they're playing. Why can't we play too? Yes. Bring more playfulness. Bring that joy. Love it. So out of all of your offerings, yeah. what do you feel is your favorite? What lights you up the most when you're doing it? Or are they all kind of the same? Yeah, that's a really hard question. Oh man. Like, you know what are lights? You yeah. What, what really lights me up is the people. Honestly, it's like, it's not even the offerings. It's what the offerings does to the people. And so when I see that change, when I see that spark, when that light bulb moment happens, whatever that offering is, that's what lights me up. And it depends on the person. Some people need the energy healing. They're called to it. Some people need the eight week tune in. And we just had an amazing session last week where I did inner child work with the women and I was able to connect a pattern that they had in childhood that they're doing now. And they never realized it. And they were like, holy crap, you just blew my mind. That's the moment. That's what I'm working for. And, and that's what I feel I'm good at and that I can give to people. But yeah, it, I, I don't think it's one offering. I think it's, it's that feeling. I, I have to agree with you. That feeling is amazing. Yeah. Oh. That it's so satisfying. It's just like, it's like an excitement, but also like a calming at the same time. Yeah. Like you feel like you're actually helping somebody. It's affirming. It's affirming. It's like, okay, everything I've been through, ev that roller coaster that I've, you know, traveled on, that I'm still on, this is the work I'm meant to do. Thank you for affirming. 
Exactly. I love that. You're just like all oh, those little signs of being like, you're on the right track. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. It's worth the ride, you know? It totally is. I love that so much. Is there anything else you would like to share with people? Is there anything that any words of wisdom or anything you've experienced in your life that was really monumental for you that you want to share with other people? Or is there something about your life that you wish you had known earlier that you want to um, let other people know about so that they don't have to go through the same struggles? Mm, I think, I think you just said it like that is exactly my marketing plan. You know, it's like, that's what I'm doing with the communication course. That's what I'm doing. The spiritual mentor program was created because when I was going through that low, low period of my life, I didn't have that person. So how can I become that person for someone else? And how can I offer that? When, when Chris and I were trying to navigate, you know, young children and communicating and, and looking at each other, like, what the heck, how do we do this? Because we didn't have parents who were emotionally mature to be able to teach us how to do that. You know, and, and I feel like our generation is just so amazing at looking for solutions and looking for information and researching and finding people, finding coaches, finding intuitives, finding people who can help them because we don't have a village like we used to, you know, and you need a village. And so it's like, we're creating a digital village and we, that, and I want to be a part of people's digital village. And I want to be 10 steps ahead of where they need, they want to be. I want to be that. And there's people who are 10 steps ahead of me that I'm working towards, you know, and it's like, if I can always be working towards something and improving myself and showing other people the way, then I'm doing my job. Oh, that's beautiful. You said it perfectly. And I am so thankful that you're in my village. Oh, I'm too. Did you know, Leanne, that when you and I did our course together, I was afraid to get paired up with you? Really? Yes. Oh, it's so funny. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember they would say like, okay, you're going to go into this room, this room, this room. And I was like, oh my God, what if I'm with Leanne today? And you know why? Because I knew you would challenge me. Yeah. And it's like that fear of growth right? I knew I had to be paired with you. I knew it had to happen, but it's that fear of growth. And as soon as we did, I remember we both like saw similar things. It was like, you know, it was great, but it's so interesting. And I think, you know, for any of your, or my clients, you know, or future clients that might be listening, it's like remembering that there is always that fear of growth. But if you can get over that discomfort and buy the program, do the course, do the reading, you know, like you will feel so much better once you've just gotten over it, just pushed it. Pushed your limits, get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. It's moving, being, for me personally, it's been like my biggest change in myself and my development is when I'm afraid when I'm scared of doing something 
recognize it and be like, yeah, you're scared, but you're still going to do it. Mm-hmm. You're strong enough. You can do it. Yeah. And when the fear is coming from a place of lack, because you don't believe in yourself, then you can push through it, you know? So just kind of recognizing that you can't, you don't have to let it stop you. No. And I love to, I know you and I've talked about this where our children are the best teachers, where I feel like because of them, I push myself. And I saw my middle son who has anxiety and learning disabilities. And he is, did an orientation for a new school he's going to. And he was so scared to go in. And he looked at me in the car with his big blue eyes. And he said, mommy, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be brave right now. And he did it. And I'm like, why, you know, that I have no excuses. If this little eight-year-old can say that to himself and take off his armor and go in and do something completely out of his comfort zone, then I need to show up. How am I going to show up? How am I going to make him proud? Oh, oh, I love that so much. Like, I'm just like, good job, mom, for giving him the tools to be like, I can be brave. I'm like, I'm just so proud of him. Oh my oh, gosh. That's amazing. So Huge. good. Like, yeah. I, and when you have uh, children with learning disabilities and cognitive disabilities, those little things are just so big. And like, you realize how valuable those little things are and other people take them for granted, but they're valuable for them too. Yeah. So when you can change your lens and just really appreciate all those little things and how important those little things are. Yeah. Really kind of shifts your internal world a lot. A lot. I've noticed. And you realize too, you know, I think our generation is terrible at self-regulating. Terrible. And I mean, that's why I do the eight week tune in course. <clears throat> and it's so funny because when he went into the school and the, the receptionist said, you know, he's going to be there all morning. And I said, what? And he said, no, no, it's fine. Like they come out happier than when they came in. And I walked out and I called Chris and I said, I realize I need somebody to help me self-regulate. Like I'm the one that needs the help sitting in my car crying, you know, because he's fine. He's brave. Now I have to be brave and I have to surrender and let go, you know, and, and learn to calm myself. Right. And do all my tools that I know are in my toolbox, but I got to bust them out. Yeah. I, I guess uh, it's not just kids that need co-regulation, oh, you know, no. and that, so the adults do too. And yeah, using all your two bo- toolbox belts, two tools in your belt. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, words hard. <laughs> but oh, yeah, I love that. I love talking to you. And I, I always enjoy our conversations and connecting with you. Oh, same, especially with like, each of us having three beautiful neurodivergent children, intuitive moms, like it's just it's so nice having that like we said, that digital village that we can relate to. Exactly. Like it's, I love how we can connect on those, both of those things. Cause I have so many friends that are, have neurodiverse children and then some that are intuitive, but when you can combine both and you can see how they overlap, 
and the parallels it's just magical yeah I'm so again I'm so grateful to have you in my life so glad we found each other I know and I got over my fear and I was like okay Leanne bring it bring it (laughs) you're so good I'm like there's no reason to be afraid like you're so good Oh, thank you. And it's, you know, and it's, it was that I knew you were going to up-level me and it's, and it's every time, right. It's like stepping into that discomfort because especially when you're intuitive, you know, there's an up-leveling about to happen and you're like, oh shit. (laughs) And then you, you go for it. It never gets easy. It never gets comfortable. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. It kind of sucks really. It does suck. But you know, the, you know, the end result is going to be better, but it kind of makes you feel like you're a kid. You're just like dragging your feet. You're like, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really? Yeah, I know. It's true. It's, and you know, but the, the other side, that other side is just so beautiful that I can't even imagine being stuck. I can't even imagine staying in my comfort zone. Um, you know, and the people that do, I feel really sad for because there's just this big, beautiful world out there that's scary and vulnerable and messy, but I can't imagine living any other way. I lived in my comfort zone for so long, for so, so long that like when I finally was like, okay, I'm going to step out of this bubble and just like be imperfect and be messy, be me be vulnerable like it just life got so much better so much better and I'm never going back no there's something scary I'm just like oh my gosh and then I'm like yeah I'm doing it okay I'll just prepare myself okay or just lean back into your soul your spirit and know that everything's gonna work out it's all gonna work out and it's it's really stepping into your authentic self yeah and being comfortable with your authentic self and, and learning how to accept and love that person. Yeah. And then not caring if other people don't accept or love that person because you love and accept that person so deeply yeah. that nothing can shake it. Yeah. And like, and when you're not at the phase of the part where you can love yourself unconditionally, having those few people around you that do love you, and then you can see the reflection back that, oh, they really love me. So I'm worth love. Yeah. So having those special people around is for me was a helpful transition. Yeah. And that's where a lot of my clients are where, you know, that's where we're looking at patterning and saying, where did that come from? Where did that thought come from? You know, why do you have that thought? Why do you have that feeling? Now let's unpack it. Now let's rewire it because it's not, it doesn't need, you know, we don't need to carry it. It's like a big backpack that we take off. We unpack, we look at everything and we fill it up with, with good things instead of the big heavy rocks that have been, you know, carried around. We fill it up with rainbows and butterflies, right? I, oh, I just love all your offerings and love you. You're so awesome. And like, I'm so, so happy that you are bringing all this into the world oh you too I because I I love how you're bridging like the scientific traditional to the new age and blending it and how you have so much knowledge 
from from both and it's it's really beautiful and inspiring thank you really inspiring thank you I really you know I always wondered what am I gonna do with this psychology degree like what you know and it's like you know, you wonder sometimes when you get a degree, you hear of people like, you know, never using it or, or, you know, doing something completely different. And I feel like I've made it my own Mm -hmm. and it fits with who I authentically am. And it feels really right. And the results that my clients get are showing that it is right. It is what I'm supposed to do. So it, it makes me, it makes me feel really good about the direction I'm going into. And I've, you know, thought about, should I, should I, you know, do more schooling? You have those thoughts of like, do I do that? You know, but I I wouldn't be able to go into people's past lives and see what their patterning is and get to the core of the issue so much faster. I wouldn't be able to do that. So, so it's like, I'm just going to keep riding, like I said, this crazy roller coaster that I'm on and I feel like spirit is guiding me and just allowing it to unfold. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. I'm so glad we could do it. And for all the people, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, um, they can find me on Instagram at sarah.hoffing. Um, Sarah with an H, H-O-F is in Frank, I-N-G, and there's only one F. Um, and love light intuitive healing.com is my website. Um, and I have on, if you're on insight timer, I'm a teacher on there. Um, I have, I'm starting to upload more, uh, meditations. I have a beautiful swearing people pleasing meditation. That's amazing. Thank you. Did you hear it? Oh yeah. It's funny, but I sent it to a friend who thought it'd be funny. And she's like, it was funny. But then I found myself crying at the end. Yes. Yes. I heard that from a lot of people and I'm writing one right now on shame and guilt. So that's good. I had a friend just recently say there's something about the frequency of my voice that she thinks there's a, there's a healing element to it, which is really neat. So I really want to put out some more meditations Um, and one of my clients who does Reiki with me said she heard me on a podcast and she can read auras and she actually could feel my aura through my voice. Isn't that neat? Like people are incredible. I love it. Yeah. The power, the power of the voice. So yeah, that's the ways that, um, that you can, people can get in touch with me. And, um, I love hearing from people and just chatting with people and connecting. It is like my favorite thing to do is connect. I actually saw a friend of mine when I was at the dentist and was so excited. I ran out to see her and still had my dental bib on. So like, <laughs> that's how like intense I am about connection. <laughs> I love it. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you so much. I'll put all your information in the show notes so people can get in contact with you. And again, thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, thank you, Leanne. Okay.